Good morning. A lot of changes have taken place in the world in the last couple of weeks, and so we're going to be looking at some of those from a biblical perspective. But let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, and first of all, we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to go from heaven to earth to bear our sins to give us salvation. And Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ that's even prevalent today. And so we pray today as we do this study that you might direct us and guide us and that we would do it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you, like myself, have been struck with all the news stories that have come about in the last couple of weeks. And um, at least as late as this morning, I, I think there's something like over 660,000 people that have been confirmed positive with the coronavirus 19. And somewhere over 30,000 have, have died. And they tell us it's even gonna get worse. Uh, we almost think, how in the world can it get worse? And uh, the US, I think, has somewhere over 125,000 positive cases and over 2,000 deaths. And Italy, I, I watched this morning, 10,000 people in, in little Italy have, have, uh, have died as a result of this. And so I'm getting questions from people, uh, some that know I enjoy Bible prophecy, some that enjoy I know studying the Bible. And, and usually the question is this, is this found in the Bible? And how does this relate to the Bible? Uh, and so a couple of questions come up. One is, is God trying to get our attention? And the answer is yes. And the other thing is, is there a biblical perspective to all this? And again, the, the answer is yes. And so I... I want to try to set a little bit of a framework this morning. And, and first of all, uh, I would say, how did God get our attention? Well, one of the ways he did it was to uh, take the things that we spend most of our time doing, and he canceled them. Sports, <laughs> March Madness. I mean, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I've got time on my hands now because I haven't been able to watch March Madness. Don't get me wrong. I still wish I could watch March Madness, but, but I understand. But Matter of fact, I've had at least three or four people tell me, we knew the condition was serious when they canceled March Madness. And then they, they canceled the start of Major League Baseball and the NBA. So God has a way of getting our attention. But I was thinking also in terms of education. You know, some people's God might be sports and some people's God might be education. And, and you look at students and at first they're excited that classes have been canceled. And then they begin to say, okay, how am I going to graduate? You know, what am I going to do? And so we have graduations that are canceled or postponed. Entertainment. Entertainment stopped. I mean, really, uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. I would have never guessed any one event could stop all of those things. Restaurants. You can't even go in restaurants and eat. And, and so we've got vacations and cruises and travel that's, that's not permitted. And I think we could say, well, God really does have our attention. And so as we look at these things, though, I think there's different perspectives. One of those uh, came to me so vividly when I was watching some of the debate that was taking place in our Congress. And my point really this morning is not to become political, but I'm sure that each of us come with a, a certain political perspective. But it was almost disheartening to hear actual people in Congress and, and several news people say that suggesting that not to give relief to those that are older. How, how do you make that judgment? Or another one was um, to those who don't support a green earth. How, how can this deal pass? Is it valid? 
I agree that what we're looking for is a global response. And actually, that's what ties it in, I believe, with the Word of God. Because I believe that, that the Bible is quite clear that down the road there will be a global uh, situation in which there will be a global response. And again, we're going to find that there's a conflict, and the conflict is between God and Satan. That, that conflict's been going on uh, even before the Garden of Eden. But certainly since the Garden of Eden, we've watched it go on in a, in a major way. And so it's bringing to view that there are different worldviews. For example, there are some who would say that, that the earth, the green earth and the animals and mankind, well, the, the green earth, the animals are, are just as high or higher than mankind. And there would be others, and I would support this view, that no, mankind and the life of mankind is way more important than the animal life and, and in the green earth. I'm, I'm all for a green earth. I'm all for being kind to animals. But the priority of, um, of human life and, and even uh, the abortion movement and the anti-abortion movement, I really think we see the whole worldview stemming to this. And so let's look at several passages today. But I want to begin with one that I'll come back to at the end of our little talk. This is in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. Listen as I read these things. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me, that's in, in Christ, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that statement by Jesus Christ was made prior to the cross, and it's even more true after the cross. And so when we're done, I want you to know that even though I may talk about some things that, that are not going to be fun to listen to, but I hope they're going to be biblical, I think they will provoke us to think and to think of our, our worldview and then to think of the perspective in terms of what God is trying to do. But remember that he says, I've overcome the world and in me you'll have peace. And you know what? If there's ever a time that people need peace and hope, I'd, I'd say it's today. Uh, if there's a second lesson that I've got out of this as I talk to people, it's how unsettling it is. I don't care if it's small children. I don't care if it's older people. I don't, I don't care what age you are. There, there seems to almost be a, a situation where I say, wow, where is our peace? Where is our hope? And I hope as we look at the Bible, we'll be able to look at this. I want to go this morning really to begin our discussion on the biblical perspective, especially in prophetic things, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. And this passage has been referred to lots of times by lots of people. Matter of fact, it's one of my favorite passages to speak on. And, and I want us just to begin by, by reading a few verses here because the disciples asked Jesus as they sat on the Mount of Olives, when will the end be? When will you set up your kingdom? Verse 4, Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Notice the, the idea, the multiple times of the word deception. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. I really believe that Matthew 24 is a tribulation text. In other words, I think this passage will be fulfilled completely, totally when the tribulation comes. Matthew 24, verse 8 says the beginning of the tribulation. You go to chapter 24, verse 15. 
he speaks of a, a mention that Daniel has that takes place in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years into it. And then in verse 29, he talks about immediately after the tribulation. So the whole text of Matthew 24 is tribulation. But it's interesting because here are some indicators, not for the rapture of the church, but for the tribulation. And among those things, he talks about pestilence. Now, let's just stop here for a minute because I, I know for years, as, as we've studied this passage, we talked about pestilence. We say it's diseases. And there's another place in Ezekiel. And I think what we're looking at is the beginning of these kind of diseases. I don't think the coronavirus 19 is going to be the last virus that we see. I, I think as we look at Scripture, there could well be other things that are going to be global and just as threatening as this. But it's interesting that he would indicate that among the things that will occur at the end, just before the, the kingdom of God is set up, just as we begin the tribulation, there will be pestilence. Next, there will be earthquakes. I don't know of a single person that I know that talks to me that doesn't say, doesn't it seem like earthquakes are on the increase? And the answer is yes. And, and the Bible said this would be an indicator for the tribulation. The, the rapture occurs before this. It's not a sign for the rapture. The rapture, God's taking out of the church, has no signs. It's a sound. It's a sound of a trumpet when he comes. And then he speaks of famines. And also this week, sharing the headlines with the plague that we have going around the world is the locust plague that's taking place in Africa, where thousands, tens of thousands of people are going to starve to death, exactly as God says. Notice another thing. Nation against nation. There are certainly nations that are fighting against nations. But here's another one. It says kingdom against kingdom. It's interesting because as you begin to, to look at that particular phrase, it means civil strife. The same country fighting within itself. And again, I, I look at America. I can't think of a time that we've been more divided probably since the Civil War. I think we've almost gone to the limit in terms of are we conservative or liberal? Are we Democrat or Republican? Are we young or old? Are we socialist or, or capitalist? All these things have divided our country so deeply. And the Bible says that one of the marks will be this, that it will be kingdom against kingdom. And so I personally think that, that what we have here is the warm-up for the tribulation. Now, I want to stop in that train of thought for just a moment. Because in the tribulation, to show you how, how far this goes, and these are passages that are going to be in the book of Revelation. And while we might not read all the passage, I'll refer to the verses, and that way you can read them in as you want to study this further. But among the things that it talks about in Revelation chapter 18 is this, a global or a worldwide collapse of the economic system. Can you believe that, that we would be almost bragging to ourselves, saying, wow, make America great again? I'm not opposed to that phrase. I'm not opposed to that idea. Matter of fact, I like the idea and I hope it occurs. But, but we are saying, here's how well we're doing with employment. Here's how well we're doing with, with economics. And all of a sudden, there's almost a, a, an immediate curtailment of all that economic progress. And so in, in Revelation chapter 18, it talks about the fact that when these conditions come, these pestilence, these earthquakes, these, these civil wars, when these things come, the whole world is going to go from the highest economic point, it's going to collapse. Matter of fact, it says it in this way, chapter 18, verse 6, it says, double Three times they use the word double and doubling. It's the exponential curve that we've been looking at in terms of this disease. I don't know how many times 
on, um, on the news stations, I've been watching them say, well, we're looking at the curve to take a downward dip, but right now it's exponential. That's the doubling effect. And so the Bible uses that, that modern word of exponential or doubling three times in chapter 18, verse 16, he says, double under her according to her works and her cup which she shall fill double to her. And so I believe that this is the, the kind of economy that the Bible is talking about. Then notice this in verse eight, it says this, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. In other words, something is gonna take place in that tribulation where God will judge. I'm gonna tell you right now that the tribulation is gonna be far worse than what we're experiencing now. We're gonna look at some of the details just to, to show you the tip of the iceberg. But in chapter 18 of Revelation, you'll see in verse 10, in verse 17 and verse 19, it says in one hour. In other words, just overnight, the economy that was so good is gonna to go to nothing. To it finally says this, that all work, in verse 22, all work, all commerce is completely halted. Can, can you believe, as you look around at, at the world, not just our country, at the world, it's, it's halted. The economic progress is halted. Next, so I think one thing would be the economic situation, the collapse of it. Revelation chapter 13, there's another aspect of this that I think is so important. And maybe it's the underlying factor, but in Revelation chapter 13, it introduces us to a dragon. And this dragon, I believe, is, is none other, he's, he's referred to as, as the dragon or the devil or Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse nine, if you want a, a biblical reference for that. And then in chapter 13, he introduces two beasts, one, is the Antichrist, and one is the false prophet. One comes to play in Revelation chapter 13, verses one and two, and the other comes in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. But the thing that's interesting is this, that it's worldwide. Just as the economic collapse was worldwide, the diseases were worldwide, the death toll was worldwide, and now this one is the power the control of the world is worldwide. It's no longer just someone in a nation trying to gain control, but it's somebody who wants worldwide control. Revelation chapter 13, verse four says this, they worship the dragon, the, the devil, who gave power unto the beast, unto this antichrist, and they worship the beast, saying who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. Why would they worship him? Well, here's why, because he had a solution for this economic collapse. He had a solution for, for the catastrophes that were coming. And so it says in chapter 13, verse seven, and it was given unto him to make war with the Christians and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. In other words, this was worldwide. A little further on, Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, is a passage so familiar. This antichrist is gonna cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and the slave, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell except that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of the beast. I, I wanna stop there just for a moment because you see this Antichrist who says, okay, I want control over every single person. And now we have someone who says, okay, if you don't uh, submit to me, then you're not gonna be able to buy, you're not gonna be able to sell, you're not gonna be able to go to school, you're not gonna be able to trade. I, I wonder if we're not seeing a, a, a precursor of that. And the reason I say that is because about five to 10 years ago, I can't put my hand on the exact date, but I remember that Bill Gates came out with quite a, 
a story when he suggested using a micro, uh, microchip implant to vaccinate people. And I think at that time, most people thought, well, you know, that's just technology. And, and, and it's true. And you know what? It, it's even good technology. By the way, as we look at these things, I'm not against technology. My fear is that great technology can be used by wicked people. My, my fear is the people, not the, not the technology. And I'm not even saying, please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that Bill Gates is the Antichrist. I'm just saying that what's being talked about is exactly what the Bible talked about, and the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. In his original article, Bill Gates called this ID 2020. Even though it was five or 10 years ago when he spoke about it, he actually called it ID 2020. I think he had more to do with the, the site, 2020 site, than the year 2020, but it's interesting that it came to be exactly the same. And of all things, this similar um, idea, this similar philosophy and thinking resurfaced again, and it was reprinted again on March the 19th, 2020. And the headlines say, Bill Gates who used microchip implant to fight the coronavirus. What I found so interesting was this. It shows, and, and he has funded several universities to do this. One of those, according to the article, is MIT. Another one is Rice University. By the way, Rice University has been on the news the last two days because of the incredible progress that they've made with the ventilators. I mean, what they're doing is, is, is wonderful. It's fantastic. And so these are universities who, who have uh, entrenched themselves in, in doing this type of work, not because they're bad, because they're trying to make technology go forward. They're trying to use technology. But what I'm saying is this, it's interesting because Bill Gates admits in this, he said the digital certificate shows who has recovered or who has been tested or who has not been vaccinated. And it talks about the fact that we could penalize those people Maybe they don't buy, maybe they don't sell, maybe they don't go to school, maybe they don't hold a job, for sure they wouldn't travel. All these things are possible. And then he goes on to say that this human implantable is called the quantum dot tattoo. And so he's talking about how can we mark people and, and, and brand people and control people and keep track of people. When you go to Revelation chapter 13, 2000 years ago, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John said, the Antichrist in the last days will actually restrict the freedom of people so they can't buy, sell, or trade, and they'll be able to, to have a mark. Now, what is it happens when this mark comes? Well, you see, I think what it says is this. When you get the mark, when you take this vaccine or, or whatever this thing will be, I don't know what form it will be. Will it really be a, a tattoo, ink tattoo, or will it be an electronic tattoo, or will it be a vaccination? I, I don't know. But I think what it says is that whoever has that will now control the population of people. That's what the point was in Revelation chapter 13. It says this, that the Antichrist will come in order for you to be a part of society, in order for you to have a job or food or, or freedom to travel, do whatever you want to do, then you've got you've to submit to him or commit to him. You're going to have to commit to the Antichrist and his system the same way you commit to Jesus Christ. And so when you accept this Antichrist as the world leader, then you're going to have access to, to some of these things that he's talking about here. I just mentioned the situation with Bill Gates because I think it shows you exactly where we are. So this is the warm-up for the tribulation. It's not the tribulation. 
And the reason I say the, the warm-up for the tribulation is this. When you go to, to Revelation and you look at the 21 judgments of the tribulation, there's three groups of seven. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, one-fourth of all the earth's population die in the first several judgments. Now, this is incredible. Can you imagine if, if this were to occur, let's say today, we would be talking about the death of one and a half billion people. Look at the tragedy that's occurring when we have 660,000 that are infected. Look at the tragedy as, as we look around and we see the, the number of people that, that have perished in this. I mean, it, it's horrible. Can you imagine when one and a half billion people die? And then go to Revelation chapter 8, a little further into the tribulation. Another plague comes, another judgment comes, and a third more die, another billion and a half. Three billion people die in just a few short chapters. That's why I say this, this is not the tribulation, but it shows you a precursor to the tribulation. Listen, I would accept Christ as my personal Savior just to get out of the tribulation. I, I listen to the stories of people as they talk about their loved ones suffering with this hideous death. It's horrible. Can you imagine when, when three billion people die in, in this short space of time? Revelation 14 goes on to say this. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receive the mark of his name. I've got to tell you that today, if we had a vaccine, and I can say if you take this vaccine, you, you, you'll be free of coronavirus 19. I think people would line up for it. I probably would take it. But can you imagine if an antichrist comes and he says, all right, in order to be part of my world system, my worldview, then I want to make it so that if you're going to have a job, if you're going to do any things, then you've got to take my vaccine and, and it comes with it, this tattoo, this, this mark. I, I really think that there's a coming day when the situation will become so bad that people actually will be willing to give away their freedom and even their soul to receive protection, only to find out that they've been doomed by an even greater situation. And so as we come to these things, and while they look scary, wow, remember the verse I read at the beginning? Jesus said, I come to bring peace. And, and that's important because, you see, I look at the world, and, and the, the pestilence, this, this virus, is not the only thing that says that we're living in the end times. I look at it in terms of the, the political situation. The very nations that the Bible says will be, will be fighting each other, they're fighting each other in the Middle East. The very uh, national situation of Israel is exactly what the Bible said it would be. Economically, spiritually, nationally, politically, all these things line up. And now we're watching earthquakes and pestilence. It's, it's just like, here's what it tells us. We must be living in the end of time. You see, this disease, coronavirus 19, we, we, at least I believe that it came from China. And you know what? Many people, myself included, have known for years that in 
in this particular city in China, they've been studying biological warfare for a long time. Was it on purpose they put it out? I don't know that. Was it accidental? I, I don't know that. I'll let other people make that judgment. But today, I want to remind you of something, that there's something worse than the coronavirus 19. There, there's there's a, a, a pestilence. There's a disease that's even greater. Here's why. Because coronavirus 19 is probably only going to affect maybe 20% of the world. But the Bible talks about the effect of sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. You see, every one of us have a death sentence because we were born sinners because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And so I'm thankful that, that there is a remedy against that. And that remedy was Jesus Christ leaving heaven, coming to earth, going to the cross, shedding his blood, being buried, being raised again the third day. And I think about the fact that, that there's a, a struggle. I mean, this is an incredible struggle between the devil and Satan and Jesus. You know what? The devil wants people to perish. I, I know sometimes when, when I say that, people say, how can you be sure? Well, let me just read to you a, a verse of Scripture, and I think you'll see how, how clear it is. This is in John chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8. And it says in verse 44, You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. You see, here, here's his motive. He, he deceived Adam and Eve because he wanted them to die. He, he knew he had been cast out of the presence of God. He was spiritually separated from God. So he wanted man and woman to be separated from God. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. That, that's the devil. And when we were looking back in Revelation chapter 13, we saw that there was a false trinity. There was, there was this serpent, the devil. Then, or sometimes they call him the dragon. So the dragon or the serpent, the Bible identifies in Revelation 12 as the devil. And then there's the, the Antichrist. And then there's the false prophet, just as there's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so this warfare has been going on for, for centuries. The joy of the devil is to see people perish. And, and they'll have no mercy to do it. He'll do whatever he can do to make it so people will perish, including giving them a mark, including saying, if I give you this, I'm going to give you something good. But in reality, what he's doing, he's dooming their, their soul for eternity. And so here's Jesus, and he's just the opposite. Matter of fact, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Jesus said this, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Now, if Jesus is the way, you see, when, when Jesus says that, he doesn't just say that, that he is the way, but he imparts that. So he is the way. He's the only way. And he imparts the way to those that accept him. He gives us the way to have eternal salvation in Christ. He's the truth. <laughs> We just read in John 8 that the devil is a liar. He, he was a liar from the beginning. He, he never can tell the truth. And he, he lies so they can doom people. And Jesus, he's the truth. Remember when Pilate was 
having Jesus stand in front of him and, and he was asking Jesus questions. You know, are you a king and, and are you come to set up your kingdom? And finally, Pilate says this, what is truth? He was looking at truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. You see, the truth, it's not just something that's a true fact. Two plus two is four. That's true. But it's not a truth. The truth is the general principle, the, the general point of view. Jesus, he is the truth. He imparts truth. And then said this, that Jesus is the life. He imparts life. What is Satan? Well, Satan, he, he deceives people so they don't get the way. He lies to people so they don't get the truth. He's a murderer. He condemns their soul to hell. And Jesus is the complete opposite. He is the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And to me, it's wonderful that we come at a time like this when, when the world is saying, wow, what hope do we have? And I say, you know what? We have a hope that God designed before the world ever began. And what that hope was, that there would be a way of salvation, that there would be a person, that person would be Jesus Christ. And so that's why we can go back to that passage we started with in John chapter 16. And it's wonderful. Listen as we read it again, because I think now you'll see how refreshing it would be. This was hours before the disciples would watch Jesus go to the cross. They would say, our hope is gone. Jesus is dead. No, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead, but he died so that he could save us from the, the dreadful virus of sin. So here's what it says. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's interesting because just the chapter before, John chapter 14, listen to what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives you, I give you real peace. Let your heart, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Or I think of the passage in Isaiah chapter 9. We think of it as a Christmas passage, but, but in there it talks about the fact that, that his name is Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. And we come at a time like this and, wow, how wonderful to know that we can have peace because Jesus paid a tremendous price for us to, be, to redeem us. And so... As you look at the world, as you look at the news, well, we have a hope, and that hope is Christ. I hope we'll use good sense. I, I hope that we'll, we'll do the things that, that it takes to, to get through the, the, the virus and, and all the aftermath of it. It'll be a sacrifice for some. It'll cost a life for some. But to know that we have a peace, and that peace is found in Jesus Christ. I trust today that if you've never accepted Christ, well, this will be a day that you will accept Christ. And I trust that today as well, you, you'll take heed to go back and to, to read through the, the Word of God. Maybe begin with the Gospel of John because Jesus makes it so clear that He really is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that we can be an encouragement and help to you in these times. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Father, I, I dread to think of the tribulation. If this is only a precursor if we've seen this much suffering with, with these numbers of people that have died, what can it be like in the tribulation? It says that men will call on the mountains to fall on them. And so, Father, we pray that even today people will heed the good news of the gospel of Christ and they'll come to him. Father, give strength and hope and peace to each who know him. We pray this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.